Welcome everybody. My name is Robin Harford from eatweeds.co.uk. Welcome to another episode of the Eat Weeds podcast. I'm here today with Nicole Rose, who runs the Solidarity Apothecary. And like all the shows, rather than tell you about her, I'm going to ask Nicole to introduce herself. So welcome, Nicole. Good to have you on the show. Tell us your story. Um, I'm Nicole. I run a project called the Solidarity Apothecary. And its kind of mission is to materially support, so practically support, what I call revolutionary struggles and communities with plant medicines to strengthen collective autonomy, self-defence and resilience to climate change, capitalism and state violence. What that looks like in practice is I support people experiencing state repression, so people that have campaigned on different issues and are experiencing, experiencing repression as a result. And I support them with plant medicines. I support people leaving prison to recover from the effects of that kind of those kind of traumatic experiences. And I also make medicine for different groups around the world. So one of the groups is Herbalist Without Borders, who support refugees at different different places, and most especially in northern France. Yeah, and I I wrote a book called The Prisoner's Herbal, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And so one of my main areas of work is getting that inside to people in prison. Okay, so why the, why the area of prisons? Is that experiences that you've had yourself? Yeah, so when I was 21, I did a three and a half year prison sentence as part of a campaign to close down an animal testing company in England. And yeah, it was a big operation, like 12 of us got sent down. The whole campaign was criminalised with this charge of conspiracy to blackmail. And when I was in prison... Like I worked as a listener with the Samaritans and supported women in there who, yeah, listening, like I was listening to people's stories, maybe 20, 30 hours a week of just like horrendous poverty and child abuse, rape, gang rape, people that had been affected by drugs and alcohol and other issues. And it really transformed my worldview about prison and about who was in there and why. And I could really see those layers of like racism and class and poverty. And yeah, I, when I got out, I was really dedicated to, okay, how can I support like movements to build alternatives to prison and also keep providing like practical support to people inside. And for me, like plants just cha just changed absolutely everything for me in my life. When I was in prison, I worked in the prison gardens and I, did a distance learning course in herbalism and I just yeah found this whole new world of like meaning and connection that has just taken me in so many amazing directions and given me such a sense of belonging to place and belonging to communities of people that care about plants and I don't want prisoners to be excluded from that and there's like loads of other areas around medical neglect and other issues in prison but I think the main premise for me was like Right now, like millions of people around the world are excluded from plants because of where they are. But actually in prison, there are plants. There are dandelions pushing up through the concrete. There's all sorts of weeds and connecting with them, I think, can help people overcome that kind of isolation of imprisonment. Were you interested in plants before you went into prison or did it evolve while you were in prison? Before I went to prison, I was interested in plants. I worked with, I used to just do like care work and I worked with one autistic woman and she was like obsessed with gardening and birds. And that kind of was what like got me interested in, in plants and I guess in ecology. 
but at the time like doing a course doing like a permaculture course or something felt like really inaccessible and it was only in prison that I was able to get some grant funding to cover the costs of studying and like I had I had the opportunity to study if that makes sense like on the out it's quite hard like doing low paid work and you're working like 60 70 80 hours a week to just pay the rent and you don't have much time to study so yeah in prison it was like weirdly enabling of me to do some education so I know the the country is very divided at the moment so I'm going to ask you the question anyway but I'm sure some people who are listening to this will will have a trigger response to say you broke the law you you got nicked for it you you did time that's it isn't it personally that's not a very compassionate <laughs> way to view it. it sounds to me more like political prisoner rather than a criminal what would be your response to people who have a negative view of people who've been in prison and are in prison and say it's your own fault i think it's challenging for people who have never interacted with anyone who's gone to prison or have never been in prison themselves and I think it's also particularly challenging for people that come from like wealth or privilege so that they don't ever have to question should I steal this thing otherwise I won't eat tonight or whatever it is so there's those layers but I think for me I like to differentiate things between like harm and like crime there are a lot of people in prison that have harmed other people like rape or abuse or violence but there's also a lot of people that aren't in prison that harm people right through wars or poverty like state violence or whatever but For me, like the act of criminalization is like a very specific tool that marginalizes certain groups of people and punishes them for for that marginalization. For example, like looking at kind of drugs, rich people that take drugs don't go to prison, right? (laughs) Like it doesn't work like that. It's people that use drugs who don't have the money to sustain their drug habit that go to prison I think we need to differentiate like what what's actually like causing harm and what's quote-unquote crimes and lots of yeah and recognizing that lots of people in prison have caused harm but also recognizing that a lot of people in prison are like massive receivers of harm it's really even just I'm not going to quote the statistics accurately but like huge numbers of people in prison have been abused um, as children and that's led to that's led to drug use to help manage their nervous systems or if there's inaccessibility to trauma support then people are going to self-medicate or enact like harmful behaviors so for example in my experiences of being a Samaritan inside it was like yeah you're listening to like people that have survived like really extreme abuse as children and that I didn't meet really anyone in prison that had a really messed up childhood and there's like lots of public sympathy for example with child abuse like Childline or whatever probably get like millions of pounds NSPCC get millions of pounds of donations but yet we're like treating like some of the most like vulnerable oppressed people in our society with like even more violence and punishment rather than intervening in a way that like helps people recover that gives them like mental health support like right now prison is basically just is just like one giant mental health institution but with no care or support or like therapeutic kind of like interventions available people are just getting punished because they have like mental health issues so yeah so there's like tons and tons of layers but I think yeah I think if people can have a starting point of separating harm from like notions of crime And if people can look at like structural factors and 
forms of injustice that contribute to who goes to prison and who doesn't and who gets criminalized and who doesn't I think that's a really good starting point for understanding like quite a complex issue yeah no I that's a brilliant response I'm a former drug addict so I sit in recovery rooms and so many people in the recovery rooms have been doing time again and Again, the statistics for drug addicts, it's trauma-based. Liberals might say that mm-hmm. see that as a cop-out, but it's not. That's from where I sit and from when I, again, like you, I've spent, I don't know how many, hundreds of hours hearing other people's stories. And, and yeah. there's a common thread. There's a common thread. Violence, abuse and PTSD is pretty high up there for most drug yeah. addicts. So thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Because I know it's a contentious one in our culture Some people are very compassionate towards prisoners. Others just go, well, I just wanted that cleared. And that's really good. So in prison, I know from looking at your site and looking at some other kind of interviews that you've done that, as we just said, PTSD and trauma is massive. Not only the trauma from our past, but as Derek Jensen says, we live in a culture, call it capitalist, but a culture that is an abusive culture. And as a result, every citizen within this culture is traumatized at some level. And we're all just trying to manage that. So prison's Mm -hmm. an extreme kind of focus point for that. So I'm interested in, with plants, I'm really interested in two things. One, I heard you mention, I can't remember where it was, that you can't, you don't, you didn't, where you were, because it was maximum security, you didn't have access to things like a kettle for boiled water. Obviously, there's no alcohol available. Oils were really hard. So... Firstly, what kind of plants would, did you start discovering in the prison you were in? And secondly, our traditional herbal medicine uses water, uses alcohol, uses oils, or uses boiling water anyway, alcohol and oils. So how did you rejig your uh, medicine making for the context of where you found yourself? So the thing about people in prison is that they're just like, absolute like geniuses with adaptation like you wouldn't believe all the different things you could do with a dishcloth for example like curtain holders like toilet roll holder like all this stuff so I think working with plants inside was like an extension of that creativity I did have a kettle like kind of two-thirds of my sentence which was good but the first while I didn't but you can still get hot water in a flask before you get locked in but yeah eventually after the first couple of months when I got the security clearance I was able to work in the gardens and I say gardens they're like concrete patches of grass in each courtyard and then quite a big central garden in the middle of the prison which had like things like roses but yeah I mostly learned about plant medicines from this really amazing woman called Helen who was like older and Scottish I think she was in her 70s and she was like oh this is chickweed you can eat that it's full of minerals and I was like oh awesome and then oh this is dandelion so yeah it was mostly like things that you can find on disturbed soil so dandelions plantain yarrow chickweed mallow some nettle and kind of like wild chamomile like pineapple weed self-heal daisies and rose like they're all the plants that I've profiled in the prisoners herbal book like before I went in like I just thought that's it I'm not going to be able to like connect with the land again like while I'm inside and that was like one of my biggest fears because like before I went to prison I lived in Cornwall so it's like wild landscapes were like really 
like important to me but just like the first day I walked in I remember like seeing these two crows like on the fence and there was like magpies and there was like all these weeds and I was like ah shit like there's like why did I why were they so arrogant to think there wouldn't be like nature here yeah so you had to I we'd get searched every day from the gardens to check that we weren't like smuggling drugs around the prison so I'd have to stuff like greens into my bra or into my underwear and then take it back to my cell and I'd dry all the roots out on the prison radiators which in the winter would do blasts out like tons of heat and I yeah I would mostly eat things raw or make cups of tea sometimes I might if I managed to scavenge a food box or something from the kitchen I might do a foot bath but generally it was like lots of eating and experimenting I definitely obviously couldn't make any tinctures or lotions or potions but I'm really glad that was my introduction to herbalism because I think (laughs) like now I'm out I'm like such a gearhead I've just got all the blenders and the glycerin and the vodka like just this huge apothecary like stuff and I'm like actually sometimes if I'm traveling and I just cut myself I just look down and there's the arrow and I'm like okay I just need that like back to basics relationship again but yeah and I think other prisoners like around the world have different access so some people might not be able to have anything and so like in the book I included stuff about like other ways to connect with plants like drawing them or reading about them or studying them or doing poetry or whatever and then other prisoners again might have even more access so there is quite a long tradition of like horticulture with prisoners so they can access more plants like calendula or whatever yeah hopefully the book is useful for people in like their different like their different situations including people on the outside absolutely no absolutely but we'll get into a bit more about the book where folks can get it for a bit later on so you said you had to shove plants in your underwear so were you not allowed to gather and take them inside was there was there kind of a a prohibition of green beings in your like I think the main gardens officer like kind of knew what I was up to and didn't really care but I think if we had someone another officer searching us like a security department person they would definitely take anything we had on us that was like not our ID card or whatever so I did have like a few pouches of greens taken off me before, before I started doing the bra thing. But like in prison, it's like people think it's this like hotbed of discipline and rules, but actually like they just make it up. Like one rule you have is like one day you're not allowed to do this. The next day you are. One day you're not allowed this book. The next day it gets delivered to you. It's just like complete mayhem. So you can just, you just have to chance it basically. But like I did get my cell searched quite a lot probably I don't know if it was because of like the political stuff or just they knew like they knew I wouldn't have drugs on me for example or I don't know if it's I don't know anyway it's meant to be random but I would just predict every Sunday okay great I'm gonna get my cell searched and so I did try and hide things because they don't know what they are like one time there was like a bunch of lavender in the prison and like some of the girls started smoking it so then like the prison just dug up all the lavender plants so if they didn't know what it was they were like likely to take it off you if that makes sense when you didn't have access to plants in the yard did you manage to use plants from like the kitchen could you use spices and things like that could you nick them and and take them to your cell and make medicine with them so I couldn't access things like spices but other prisons you can so I had a friend who actually got coronavirus in prison this year and him and some other people 
on his wing half the wing got sick they were able to like order spices from their canteen which is like the kind of the UK version of like commissary in the US so they could access things like turmeric and ginger and cayenne and so they like would boil up spices like in milk so they'd have like milk and then they'd add hot water and they'd stir up spices and that seemed to really help so yeah I think in some prisons it is possible to access like in the back of the book I included ingenious uses of like other spices and herbs that you can get so that if prisoners are in that situation they they can they know what to take like I think in I think a lot of kind of middle class people have like quite assumed self-care knowledge of oh if you have constipation you should eat this or you should eat more fruit but I think for people who have had like more chaotic childhoods or haven't been like parented in the same way there is like a real lack of that like basic self-care information of like how you treat a cold or yeah how you treat constipation or and I think that's what I wanted to include in the book at the back was just like more general a little bit of general knowledge about nutrition because that's so missing in prison especially but yeah so just kick tips and tricks on using like spices and herbs that you can get that really just brought up in when you said that i was on twitter the other day and when the government refused free school meals during the holidays that some of the it beggars believe some people's kind of attitude was just like it's the parents fault you should not go complaining to the state parents should be cooking the meals and this and that and it's like how out of this world are you living if that's your answer yeah. it's like what <laughs> it was just one of those bit of a brain wobble where i just yeah a bit of a i didn't shout at the phone but <laughs> it felt like i wanted to at this person it's like really god yeah uh, anyway yeah we could get into all that but <laughs> we'll leave it for another time <laughs> so i'm really interested whether or not this involves prison or out of prison but a lot of activists certainly myself in the past and some of my younger friends there's there's serious burnout going down so do you support activists now with kind of plant medicines and if so what kind of plants are you using to help with that kind of burnout that comes from years decades? yeah I think my main way that I've been trying to support organizers is through my overcoming burnout blogs which then turned into a book which was like a reflection of my own journey of getting like chronically ill and then recovering was that because of, of your activism the burnout or was that just life I think both definitely because of organizing like I got politically active from when I was like 10 years old and grew up in a very active animal liberation movement and then had this 10 years of repression in prison and then had a number of close friends die in succession. I had nine bereavements within like a couple of years. And I just, yeah, I was, I'd so learned this like workaholic pattern and didn't know. I think a lot of people, if they get into kind of organizing and they've had a kind of quote unquote normal childhood, whatever that means, but they've had less chronic stress, I think they're more resilient. So then when they get involved in movements, all the stress of being involved in movements, loads of organizing, loads of stress, repression, cops, physical demanding environments. Like I think they buffer that really well. Whereas I think if you've grown up like on income support, so I was brought up by a single mum 
on income support with a lot of like precarity and moving around and abusive men and stuff so I think I just like <laughs> I didn't have the same head start so I just once I got involved in organizing and had all this repression I think my body was just like so screwed from like years of battering of stress that I developed like chronic health issues but then again that was like reignited my interest in herbalism and sure. led me to do clinical training and I'm like super fit now and not that I don't think necessarily it's very ableist to think that you're going to recover from a chronic illness like I don't want to have that attitude but I'm just saying herbalism has like really helped me personally but yeah in terms of stuff now like I try and focus on people experiencing state violence but I also do support a lot of frontline organizers so recently I packaged up a big box of 25 of each thing and sent them to a group who've been protesting the HS2 and they've been like a tree protest and like trying to defend a space and they've had a lot of people getting arrested and a lot of them have been doing lots of legal campaigning for like years and years so they're absolutely exhausted and I sent them some rose petal glycerite which is rose is just like the most amazing plant for grief and it just like cools the nervous system i sent them elderberry syrup i sent them fireside of vinegar and i sent them a copy of my book each i can't remember what else oh yeah and some lavender oil so i make this lavender oil with olive oil from palestine with lavender from my garden and it's like really amazing it's like really fantastic for the nervous system and i think like sleep is so integral to health and if organizers that have such busy minds can just calm down in the evening and sleep well then they're just like so much more resilient for the days ahead yeah I have been trying to support people with plant medicines as well who are organizers and yeah during a lot of the uprisings in the summer in America and elsewhere I was sending like packages of herbs for street medics and stuff like that so to fit that to what I pick up now is on street medics. There's a guy called Seven Song in America, the herbalist who does street medics. So are there many street medics in the UK? Is it part of the culture or is it still very much on the fringe and not really taken seriously? I think at demos and I think like mobilizations against G8 or whatever, there was always like a well-being space and always people that were like responsible for first aid and I think maybe now this kind of street medic term is a bit sexy. It's a bit like, oh, cool, street medic. But actually it has been going on in a very invisible way for like decades and decades. And I think it's like what people think of as like street medicine, if that makes sense. So I don't have that much experience doing quote unquote like street medic work on a demo, but I've got shitloads of experience supporting people who have been on a demo, who've got concussion or something or driving them to hospital or looking after them, lots of TLC. Unfortunately, it's still like very feminized labor. So that would often be like a role that I would do in a group. And then in terms of street medicine itself, I guess my main experiences are going as a kind of clinical student with more experienced herbalists in Calais in Northern France and volunteering there to go with our van and our mobile clinic and seeing people in these kind of like austere settings. We saw three and a half thousand people over the last year who yeah are kind of surviving state violence in their own way like injuries from police and chest infections from being in the water or cold van or just from living outside lots of wounds yeah so that's I guess my experience of like street medicine am I right in thinking you were part of the collective for herbalists without borders uh, radical herbalism was it or was it herbalists without borders I worked with Bex and Anwin and Rashika and that, yeah, and Lisa. Like, we helped, I helped organise the first two, 
and then I stepped back because of the prisoner support demands I had but yeah it was definitely a very interesting and empowering experience in lots of ways yeah it was great okay so I think you came and did a few walk I did I came to the first one I can't remember if I came to the second one I was using back then so it's all a bit hazy to be honest I know I definitely came to the first mm -hmm. one in Glastonbury. So I'm curious, you mentioned this conversation is real world boots on the ground, concrete as you can get. But you mentioned once about odd experience with plantain and a dream. And I wonder oh, yeah. how, how does that sit with the work you do now? Because for me, some of that more subtle the plants uh, can go off on a planet and become incredibly new age. I'm really interested in on, on the boots on the ground integration of that experience. Could you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah, just to give a bit of context to listeners, one of the examples I give in my book is when I had this dream in prison about plantain and there was like a voice saying, oh, it's for wounded. And I was just like, yeah, just dreaming about plantain and hearing that. And at the time, like I hadn't studied plantain. I didn't know about its like vulnerable or wound healing properties. And then I looked it up and was like, oh, awesome. And then as I like the interesting thing about prison is that you're so separate from the internet and you're so separate from subcultures and movements and Instagram or whatever. So it was interesting getting out and then reading more about like indigenous herbalism and traditions and lineages around the world and how like dreams or kind of these experiences were like a very common way that people received information about plants and yeah and I've still had like weird I have like weird dreams every night but I still have those sorts of dreams about plants regularly and yeah and I think there's a real like biomedicalization of herbalism and actually those practices of dreams and stuff like that I do think are like really important and also like valuable like I'm like sit in both camps of I'm in Calais and I don't want to give out some kind of like random flower essence for trauma or something that to someone that's just like fleeing a war zone. Sure. And I want to know if I'm putting something on this wound that it's actually going to really work and it's going to have these like antibacterial properties. But at the same time, like I think part of D and I feel self-conscious saying decolonizing herbalism because I've heard different writers say that should be the language of people that have been colonized and reclaiming their knowledge and a better term for people who are from like colonizing nations is like unsettling but either way I think like reclaiming herbalism is really important and recognizing these like alternative worldviews around it and yeah having just having like relationship with plants you don't want to reduce a plant to its constituents like or its function for humans like that plant has autonomy and agency and yeah for me herbalism is just plants in general it's like when I was in prison like plants were like my mates I'd see them regularly I'd hang out next to them I'd sit next to them and I think it's really important for people to stay like you said like boots to the ground stay down to earth that like yeah that I don't know they're kind of I it's not that I want to see them as equals but I just I want to see them as like full beings in and of themselves beyond what use they can give to humans if that makes sure. sense and that yeah. they have their own crews and community and everything else I love the fact that like learning about like mycelium and stuff and how plants will share 
kind of chemicals and medicine with each other let alone with humans and that they'll also share that with animals like whether it's a little bird harvesting a mint leaf and adding it to its nest like that stuff is just oh it's so good to me like I just yeah and I think when I think about plants I think it's in the Robin the other Robin's book the braiding sweetgrass and it's one of the translations of plants is like those that take care of us and I feel like people in prison so many people in prison like haven't been taken care of by family or the state or by communities they've just been excluded or marginalized or oppressed or like violently violated and so to be connected with plants that take care of you is like really special I totally go with that in my own journey I found that there's two parts of what you've just said I want to feed back on in my own journey, I, I would be walking around and I'd suddenly have these flashes of like insight or intuition. And I would then discover the plant, go to the plant, look at it, pay attention to it. I'd then take a piece of it away. And then I would use research to explore deeper the plant. And I found food plants that aren't in any of the books through that process. So that sounds initially completely mm. off the planet. So when I say boots on the ground, for me, it's a lot of people who come on my courses, they said, well, I have these experiences with plants and it's, that's really cool. But there could be two things going on. One, you could just be bullshitting yourself, projecting, which yeah. I think happens an awful lot personally. But for, if you want to take it boots on the ground, pay attention to those flashes of insights and then go and do research. When you've got the research, that will more than likely validate your flash of insight like you had with plantain. There's another part of it that I wanted to feed off, which I've completely forgotten now. But it, it is, it's an interesting one, this, this interaction, this relationship that we have with plants. And that was, it was more like I wrote a, I posted a thing up on social media yesterday on sustainable and ethical wild harvesting practices. And giving guidelines on the amounts that people might want to consider when they're gathering plants. And it feels like within the plant communities that there are those of us who understand and have an appreciation and certainly for me, a reverence for the relationship that humans have with plants and plants have with humans. And then there are those within the plant community who are the, who see plants as just a resource so they are mm -hmm. colonial in that sense imperialist in that sense in that they just see the plant they see a load of mushrooms and they want it all for them and they just strip it and they take they're takers and just takers and generally for profit or coins and even people in my audience i know because i know of some of the comments that i got just yesterday that we really have to engender as plant teachers, for want of a better word, a word I don't really like, I still sit uncomfortably with that word teacher. I really do encourage people to really just not see everything non-human as yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anything, you are it. Yeah. Certainly with plants, 400 million years old and the, the modern human, 200, 300,000 years. Who's been around a bit longer and who's a little bit smarter? 
so yeah i suppose it's a bit more of a humbling process because in in my community in the foraging community there's it's becoming quite polarized between those that have the respect and foraging is a start of the journey that little taste is just the beginning it's not the end game and those who, who are just pillagers and it needs to be said because oftentimes it's not said so ptsd myself absolutely you lots of our friends and people in our community suffer from it it's massive at the moment we've got covid doing its thing what kind of advice would you give to someone who acknowledges that they may be experiencing PTSD and, and how can they look after themselves? What kind of plans, what guidelines would you share with them? Wow, that's a big question. I think for me, it was never going to be like a herb in a brown bottle that was going to help with my recovery. And I think Western herbalism especially has this like real wannabe doctor syndrome of oh you get your prescription in the bottle and the herbalist has all the power and knowledge and everything else but I think for me it was like it's the act of herbalism that is the recovery for me so I even now like I do tons of prisoner support and I get like regular phone calls from friends in prison who are experiencing things I saw or witnessed like people getting bent up by officers or violence in the prison or whatever or like extreme kind of solitary and I I can take certain plants in the daytime like maybe it's like the rose petal or maybe it's some sort of like nervous system mix with milky oats or vervain or something like this but actually like the best thing to soothe my nervous system and help me self-regulate is going outside and I have the privilege of living with land I'm able to go outside and calm down I have a very like hot PTSD that I get like real rage and I get like really angry and like nightmares and intrusive thoughts like that I'm quite lucky that I've not been prone to depression so for me like it's like going outside that like really soothes and helps me drop down again into like parasympathetic yeah I think that's like the biggest remedy is like the land itself but I definitely encourage people to go see herbalists, but you could be given something that you have no relationship with and it's, and it, yeah, it will, it will work on a biological level. It might help with your nerve communication or your brain chemistry or something, but actually that relationship is what's healing. So for me, like I'm taking a Nervine mix at the moment, I'm actually taking some St. John's wort, which obviously there's like lots of cautions with, so I wouldn't just take it willy-nilly, but like it has contraindications and reacts with all sorts of stuff. But like for me, taking it is wonderful, but I remember being in the summer, in the sun, harvesting St. John's wort from my garden and making that glycerite. And so that is the medicine for me is I have a relationship with that plant and now that plant is supporting me through this like winter and this lockdown so yes definitely go to herbalist but actually like self-educating about plants and also joining in community right like I'm sure you've taught like a million plant walks it's never oh this person's learned about this herb and that's really exciting it's that oh they made a new friend today they made a friend with the plan and they made a friend with the person on the course and that's going to help them more with their depression than that plant would in a brown bottle I would really encourage people to find collective care from plants and from other humans and try to recover collectively in a support network rather than like buying a bunch of stuff at Holland and Barrett and swinging it back and seeing if it will touch the sides yeah and I think for a lot of people 
if like you haven't known if you haven't known safety because like humans have been like incredibly untrustworthy to you like whether it's parents or other people or prison officers it's very hard to find trust in humans and so I think that's why people that connect with animals or with plants like it's so therapeutic because you can like trust a plant and if you've got like abandonment issues or something then it's like plants aren't gonna abandon you either like they're kind of we think they're stationary they're not actually that stationary but yeah I think people can build that trust and that like co-regulation with a plant and that will give them like a stronger foundation to then do like therapy or whatever or take medication that's really good I got a bit plugged in there because my own journey for towards the end of my addiction just before I got into recovery humans I could not trust I just hung out in the hedge because that was where I felt safe and secure Mm -hmm. and it may sound completely flaky to some people when the human world if you're good at if you're a good drug addict yeah and you lose the lot and but what you don't lose is the earth and what you don't lose Mm -hmm. are the plants and you absolutely nailed it for those of us who've experienced that suffering they are the the safety zone and I, it's so important to not just, like you say, go to Holland and Barrett. And I joined Bex and Unwin on their online course in foundation of herbal medicine that they did for COVID, the start of COVID. And, and I went out and I hadn't gathered elder flower for quite a while, quite a couple of years. And it was coming in from Baldwin's or Neil's yard or wherever I was getting it. And I went into a two-week depression with COVID and it was at the same point as I was doing the course and just the practice, forget even making anything with it, just the practice of walking land, finding those communities. And I know every elder tree in that hour that we were supposedly allowed out for in my local land area. And the power of that and really engaging all the senses with the approaching to the tree, the shrub, the gathering of, of the flowers, the bringing it back, the stopping and communicating with people who were going, oh, what's that you got in that basket? Deeply powerful, like really powerful. I cannot stress how important, as Nicole has just said, going and gathering your medicine. And I did it with lime flour. You buy lime flour, it's gray (laughs) it's got loads of dried wing in it and i spent a whole afternoon gathering the most extraordinary lime flowers and just gathering the flowers and you will never buy this yeah but that healing process apart from the de-stress just the relaxation response of being around something like lime flower which absolutely has the most exquisite scent and smell and you're gathering and you're getting the stickiness on your fingers it yeah it's really important so please don't just read you can use elderberry or lime and in a book and go and buy it from the shop obviously if you don't have it then yep that's the default but when the seasons come it's how we embed and become very intimate with our place where the, the place being where we find our feet at any given time so yeah now i'm rambling <laughs> So yeah, that was really good. So we're coming up for about an hour and I'd love you to, in the show notes for anyone who's listening, 
in this. There will be all the resources linking to Nicole's work, the prisoner handbook, the burnout book. For people who might not go to the website, would you like to just point people to where they can find you online? Just give them your website addresses or social feeds or whatever. Sure. Yeah, don't use social media loads. I just use Instagram. So my Instagram is at solidarity.apothecary and my website is solidarityapothecary.org. Yeah, those are my two those are my two places. And the books, The Prisoner's Herbal and Overcoming Burnout are both available online. And shameless plug, but we also have these incredibly beautiful herbal bandanas with amazing illustrations of medicinal plants that we're selling to raise money for our mobile clinic in Calais with Herbalist Suborders. And also we're about to, me and a friend are about to publish a colouring book with medicinal plants and a little bit about their properties, which will, and the proceeds of that will pay for copies of the colouring book to go to prisoners as well. So yeah, so that will hopefully be coming out at the end of the month. Um, That's really cool. I didn't realise when I asked you to come on the show that I'd already got your books. <laughs> I don't know when I got them. <laughs> So that, that was nice. And thank you very much for coming on. The stories of plants is the stories of humans and all aspects of humans in whatever way they turn up in our lives. And for you, they turned up in a prison. And that's yeah. quite extraordinary where they've led you. So thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>